Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally a polder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So, Connor, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not afraid to admit when I, I was wrong. I'm going to eat crow. I'm going to eat some crow here. I was mm, convinced, delicious. Connor. Feathers. I was convinced. the beaks. I was convinced that Biden would never show up for the debate. Right. I thought, oh my gosh, look at these clips on TV. That looks pretty scary. Right. Aren't the Democrats going to say, hey, Joe, you don't got need to Got a big lead, guy. play it safe, don't blow it. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. And he still got, as far as I can tell, you know, the Republicans talk about, well, Trump's uh, shrinking the lead. I, I, I don't really see that in the national polls. I think Biden's still up in virtually all of the swing states. Yeah, I think this is a symptom of the horse race uh, media cycle where you have a news story where the initial polls come out as we approach the election. We sort of see where the polls are and what the election's going to look like. We've got the front runner, Joe Biden. We've got the in trailing incumbent, which is itself a big story, Donald Trump. And then as the weeks wear on, two, four, six weeks pass until the initial crop of polls come out. What is the news media going to do but say, hey, I mean, uh, things could still be interesting and maybe the race is tightening. And right. does this mean that maybe the race is tightening? Maybe this means that the race is tightening. And it would be a pretty boring story for them to recycle. Biden's still pretty much ahead. Uh, Biden doing well. Yep. You got got to have fresh meat. So we're going to talk about whether a Biden is going to win the low expectations debate game. Of course, uh, today is Sunday, December, uh, let's see, twenty seven. And so September, this, uh, September, for September twenty seventh. <laughs> hey, George Bush made the same mistake. I wish it were December. Also, I wish we could hit the fast forward button. Remember when George Bush sequence. the senior said uh, he was referred? He referred to Pearl Harbor Day as being September seven. Well, my birthday, well, yeah. September seven. That's how I remember my birthday. Is is. That uh, presidential screw up. So if the president can make a mistake like that, I guess I can, too. So we're going to talk about uh, the debate coming up in a couple of days. And we're also going to talk about uh, the Amy Coney Barrett pick. How should Democrats play it? What might it mean for the Supreme Court in terms mm-hmm. of structural reforms down the line? Uh, we can talk about uh, Donald Trump's refusal to accept, to agree, to accept the results of the election. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, if we've got some time, we're going to get around to the future of Obamacare because one week exactly after the November third election, there will be a hearing before the U.S. Supreme Court mm-hmm. on a challenge to the ACA to Obamacare. So we're going to get to all of that. Uh, let's talk then about the debate. Uh, for months, we've heard the Republicans say, oh, Joe uh, Biden, he's uh, senile, uh, and so it's going to be a disaster for him. <coughs> Pardon me. But, you know, he wasn't senile in his uh, debate with Bernie Sanders a few months ago. And I think by consensus, he won that debate. I got a question. Would you say that these are the lowest expectations that we have for both presidential candidates going into a debate in all of American history? Have we ever gone into a presidential debate and thought, well, you know what? Um, either one of them could crap their pants on stage, and that wouldn't be too big a change from their public personas. Really, is that is, is there a lower expectation debate 
anywhere in American history. I think you're right. And it's interesting because in a way it harkens back to four years ago when people were saying, gee, isn't it unusual the two most unpopular people ever to run as major party candidates in in history for the Mm -hmm. presidency, they're up against each other this time. And people said that kind of thing about Hillary and Donald Trump. And so, yeah, it's, well, Donald Trump is sort of the common denominator, of course, between the two elections. But yeah, between Joe Biden's age which I think is 77, and the fact that he's always been kind of a gaffmeister. And in the last year or so, the Republicans have lovingly assembled a, a highlights reel of examples where he's sounded to many people as if perhaps he's starting to lose it. Right. And of course, the Democrats and, and uh, you know, people uh, who, who, who don't like Trump on the other side assembled, assembled a similar gag reel of Trump doing ridiculous or loathsome things and uh, tried to prop it up there as evidence that, that he's losing it. Now, I don't think that either one of these sides has really done a great job of controlling the debate uh, and actually uh, that is the public you know, sphere and, and what people talk about. I don't think that most Democrats are afraid of Joe Biden uh, being senile. I don't think most Republicans are afraid of Trump being senile. I think they, they only really talk in their own bubbles about how the other guy is dumb or senile or losing it or missed a step or whatever else. It hasn't really crossed over to the other side, and thus it's not going to have an impact in my view. I think that this is kind of just stoking the base and you know making sure that the base is happy with their pick because Republicans kind of have to be happy to be motivated to show up, and Democrats kind of have to be happy to be motivated to show up. That's why you pick somebody exciting like Kamala Harris as a VP to try to add a little spice to the very bland man a sandwich that is Biden uh, as president. And I think for Trump, he's got to add the spice of outrage and, you know, anger, uh, because it's not like Pence is bringing in any flavor or zest to his campaign. That's really good, Connor. You know, we've been courting the best foods people for weeks now to be a sponsor for the podcast. <laughs> oh, you have finally I, I think you've pretty much blown that chance. You think I blew, blew the mayonnaise You account? referred to mayonnaise as a bland sandwich. It doesn't oh. have that spice of oh, life to that's it. that's a good point. Thanks a lot. Wait, wait, wait this, means we can, this means we can land Miracle Whip, right? That's this true. Is... That's true. And I love Miracle Whip See, anyway. and you will give the testimonials and I will be quiet during the Miracle Whip testimonials. So you said a minute ago, well, you know, both sides, you know, the Republicans, some of them think Trump is you know, and so on. Yeah, I don't hear anybody saying on the Republican side anything along the lines of, "Oh, well, we, gee, if only we could cancel the debates because you know Donald Trump, he's such a loose cannon. Who knows what he might say?" I mean, for one thing, of course, it's academic. You know, Donald Trump is going to do whatever he wants, right? And he has ultimate confidence. I think he feels like a pretty doggone good debater after yeah. he clobbered those sixteen Republicans and then he clobbered Hillary. So there, and you know, just based on his personality alone, there's no way he's going to back out yeah, of any you're debate. Right. There, so was- I think it's only on the Democrat side where people are. And for example, Pelosi said, I saw her on the news two days ago, she was saying, you know, I, I just don't think he really should be debating. It's not that I think he'll do a poor job. I just don't think, you know, is it, Trump's a bad guy. What's the whole point being on the stage with that guy? Right. And it's similar to some voices, some editorial page voices that I've seen in recent weeks where very leftist center people said, you know, he really shouldn't be debating. Not that I don't think he'll do a great job. Well, frankly, I mean, as you know, I thought he wouldn't even show up because of his handler's worry that he'll have a couple of scary senior moments and he will right. turn a big lead into a big deficit. So I was wrong about that. But I really think that the Democrats who have been questioning the wisdom of showing up at a debate with Donald Trump have, have been doing that out because of stark fear. And we'll see. I mean, you know, yeah. this the first debate Tuesday is going to tell a lot, of, uh, a lot about the situation. We shall see. I remember uh, a lot of voices on the Republican side of things 
uh, before Trump's election, saying, we don't think Trump should go out there because he's a loose cannon. He's going to say something right. dumb. He's going to, uh, you know, sexually assault someone on stage, whatever. These are you know, voices on the conservative side saying, look, we just want Trump to get in there. I'm sure he'll get more presidential as time wears on. <laughs> I'm sure that he'll be tempered by the Republicans, which, of course, was the complete opposite. He exacerbated all of the problems of the GOP and made them uh, worse, if that's possible. But those were the voices who were kind of scared that their candidate might do something silly at the debate. Unfounded fears, because there are no consequences for anything that Trump does or says. He could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue. He could, in, in fact, shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue every three minutes uh, for the his entire presidential term, and fewer people would have died than did die under his uh, COVID tutelage of this country. But it doesn't matter, because nothing matters uh, with Donald Trump. His base loves him because he inflames political debate, ruins and brings down the conversation to the lowest common denominator. They're not afraid anymore because they saw it work in Mm -hmm. 2016, 2015, I guess. They saw the way that he controlled the debate by dragging everyone down into the mud and preventing there from being a constructive, real conversation about any sort of issue at all, shouting things instead like, you know, you deleted a bunch of emails uh, instead of actually talking about what he would do uh, or how he would be as a president. So he's going to do that again. And Joe Biden is going to give the same sort of inspirational, soaring, positive uh, pro-democracy message that he gave at his DNC speech and that he used to win the debate against Biden and Kamala Harris and all the other, you know, Buddha judges uh, against Bernie. Thank you. Yes, against Bernie. And he's gonna, in the eyes of the Republican base, Biden will lose. And in the eyes of the uh, Democratic base, Trump will lose. I mean, that's that's it. There's no winning and losing debates at this point. It's just my guy showed up and said what I wanted him to hear. Well, the expectations game, of course, is critical. And I got to say, I think Biden's ahead on that at this point. It is interesting, though, we're we're kind of bloviating and we're using our crystal ball when, in fact, you never know what's going to happen. Just to to take a quick view down memory lane. Of course, there weren't any TV presidential debates before 1960, even though we had TV for, you know, several, uh, several elections. But in 60, it was Ken Kennedy and Nixon. And Mm -hmm. the fascinating thing about there is that Nixon just looked so bad. He wouldn't use makeup and he looked terrible and he lost because of that. The people who were polled who heard it on radio said, you know, Nixon wins slightly. It was pretty close, but Kennedy blew him away just because of appearances. So then you got no debates for three elections, uh, Johnson winning and then Nixon twice. But in 76, Jerry Ford lost to Jimmy Carter when he messed up by saying, well, the Soviet Union doesn't control Poland. Well, yeah, they did control Poland. And he got a lot of flack for that. Ah, that t- I remember when you had to know things to be president. <laughs> I remember that, well, when facts mattered. I remember when the public would look at somebody in a debate, fall, you know, trip and, and yeah. fall in terms of their knowledge and experience and, and depth of, of, uh, of expertise. And we'd say, oh, maybe that person isn't appropriate for the highest office well, in the entire country. Funny you should mention that, because as I'm moving along in the timeline, the next two examples show that style is so more impor- so much more important than substance. 1980, Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan. Reagan was really on the ropes. Carter asked a tough question about privatizing Social Security, and Reagan got a line off. He said, there's you go again. And he delivered it with such style and verve. He was a movie actor. Yes. And it really turned things around. Obviously, there had to be some substance to the debate, but people are still talking about it. I guess right here about that line. Move forward to 1984. Ronald Reagan lost the first debate to Mondale. He looked and sounded really old. In the second debate, he gets a softball question about his age and he knocks it out the park with a joke about, you know, I'm not going to hold my uh, opponent's youth and inexperience against him. Everybody 
laughed. The opponent, Mondale, laughed. So again, a non-substance thing turns the debate around, and that's what we're still talking about. 1988, the VP debate, Dan Quayle lost the debate to Lloyd Benson when Quayle said, well, you know, I'm about the same. Yeah, I may be young, but I'm the same age as John Kennedy, you know. And Benson just, just clobbered him saying, you know, Senator, I was a friend of John Kennedy. I knew John Kennedy. You're you no Jack on it. Oh, yeah. my gosh. It totally Classic. skewered him. Yeah. Then Bush, in 1992, when he was going up against Ross Perot and Bill Clinton, lost the debate by looking at his watch. Yeah. Okay? Wow. So that's kind of non-substantive. And the final example I will give you as we've gone down history uh, memory line Mitt Romney kind of lost the debate in 2012 against Obama when he referred to women's groups giving him advice on appointees for, for his uh, administration by saying, yeah, they gave me binders filled with women. I've got binders full binders of women. Binders full of women. So yeah. th- these debates aren't, o- aren't always substance. With all this history lesson I've just gone through, any any better idea, any prediction as to who, what kind of gaffe somebody might make, either Trump or Biden? Or is it you think it's just totally, totally in the stars, totally I, unknown? I, th- I don't think it's unknown at all. I don't think that these sort of gaffes, these sort of mistakes can exist in a 20 post 2015 world. I think in 2015, Donald Trump stepped stepped into the political arena. He said, "None of your norms matter. You're idiots. All that matters is making white people angry and as angry as possible and keeping them angry no matter what." And he did that, and then he won, and everybody said, "Oh, wow." There's a to- there's a ton of white resentment. Some of it's economic anxiety. Some of it's racism against Barack Obama. Some of it's sexism against Hillary Clinton. But whatever flavor of hatred and anger you like as a mostly white person out there, you're going to say, I'm going to sign up for Donald Trump. And that's all that matters is him talking to his base. So no matter if he goes up there and he says, you know what? Uh, the age of consent should really be 12. Uh, and you know what? And my daughter's real hot. And if he goes up there and he says, uh, you know what? Yeah, I cheated on my taxes. And as the New York Times reported today, September 26th or whatever, uh, I paid $750 in taxes in 2015. And I, air quotes, well, lost money all Bonus all. to H&R Block for that one. Absolutely. Now, what, a, what a great accountant he's got that he paid effectively $0 in taxes by lying and cheating and stealing from the American government. And yeah, I cheated cheated and stole money from the government because that's what businessmen do. Good businessmen, they find loopholes and they steal from the government. It doesn't matter what he says, truth or lie, it will not budge his base one bit. It wouldn't matter if he went out there and said, you know what, Joe Biden is a really great guy and I really like him. And you know what, if I wasn't the uh, the best candidate for president, I'd endorse him. Nothing he could say can shake it because his his listeners his uh, viewers aren't listening his viewers are watching facebook ads that make them angry that are pushed out by turning point usa and russian bot farms and they're not listening to the debates there are democrats who are chewing their nails off screaming in their seats and and wailing and tearing their hair out worried that joe biden as you point put it will make some sort of gaffe those are the only people watching the debate I learned so much uh, listening to uh, you on this podcast. I didn't know there was such a thing as a bot farm. So now I know. Yeah, absolutely. A bot farm. Internet Research Agency in Russia is this massive farm uh, where people and 
and robots churn out pro-Kremlin uh, propaganda hidden behind, uh, you know, Americanized accounts to, you know, force down American throats to try to change uh, our minds. There are thousands and thousands of people employed at this. Apparently, it's a very well-paid job in Russia uh, to do this, and it's uh, at, at the IRA. Uh, wrong IRA, not that one, but the, the modern Russian IRA, not the car bomb kind. So speaking of people being really, really angry, Connor, when we come back— Me, specifically. We're, we're going to talk about Amy Coney Barrett. Oh, boy. That's uh, ang- inducing anger among yeah, a lot of Democrats. But first, if you're angry enough to uh, subscribe to and uh, rate our podcast, Connor's going to tell you how to do that. Yeah, so you go on Apple Podcasts to get our podcast, of course, and, and you see uh, uh, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of positive reviews that we have stacked up there from all of our millions and millions and millions of listeners. Uh, and please add your voice to the cacophony. Go in there, uh, give us a five-star review, leave us a little comment, talk about how great we are and how angry uh, uh, you, we make you because that's how you, uh, you know, reach people apparently in 2020. We'll be right back on Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So Amy Coney Barrett is uh, Donald Trump's nominee for the United States Supreme Court. Connor, I think a very smart pick. Well, uh, why do you say that? I, I, I was kind of surprised uh, that Trump didn't go for the Cuban-American woman from Florida. She would have been the first, uh, um, uh, first Cuban-American woman on the U.S. Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she but that doesn't— didn't have the baggage about, you know, oh, is yeah. this going to be a Roe versus Wade? Is, you know, is, is it going to energize the base on the left and, and bring out the entire half of the nation to, to stop the dismantling of Roe versus Wade? So why did you think it, it was a smart pick? Because I think fear— uh, is a powerful weapon, and I think uh, threatening to put Roe v. Wade on the chopping block by putting up a, uh, a hardcore Catholic, basically member of a, a Catholic cult, um, is a powerful move that will I- excite his conservative uh, base, Trump's conservative base, and turn people out for the election. The prospect of overturning Roe v. Wade is very exciting, and uh, anybody who is anything other than white and something like Catholic, some flavor of Catholic, is just a, 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 you know, a harder sell to white America that this person will overturn Roe v. Wade. So I think if you uh, put up a Cuban-American woman, I think a lot of white racists in America will say, oh, I don't think she's going to be conservative enough. I mean, she's not white. So uh, does it, whether that's what they're thinking verbally, you know, or saying it out loud, or whether just well, how their subconscious works, it's it's very, you know, it's, it's very us versus them. And I think the more uh, an us, uh, more of an us pick that he could have chosen, which is a white person, uh, the more powerful it is for the excitement for his base. I think on the other side, the idea that, oh gosh, Roe v. Wade might be overturned and thus bring out people who care about women's rights to the polls on the Democratic side, that's just a non-issue. Roe v. Wade is, 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 is basically dead letter. I mean, the, if you overturn Roe v. Wade, you go back to state by state uh, deciding when abortion is legal, how it should be done, how many weeks, whatever else. Right? You're assuming that uh, they can't muster enough votes to say, you know, letting the states decide is one thing, but we actually think murder is uh, abortion is murder, and therefore it's just totally out you're, of the way. You're right. That's that's an assumption. But even uh, even by that assumption, um, uh, it, sorry. That is an assumption, and you're totally right. I don't think that they have the votes for that. I don't think a John Roberts is going to say something like abortion is murder because he's you know spent his entire career. Yeah, but aren't we assuming Roberts is out of the picture? 
We're talking about five people, including True. Amy Coney Barrett, yes. with Roberts joining the four liberals. So the real question is, how are the, the five conservatives going to view abortion? Well, the six conservatives. But yeah, I hear you. Um, uh, you're, you're right. Well, again, but don't you, you think don't Roberts, need John Roberts is not yeah. part of, of the block of five? He's okay. not number six vote to, to, to say abortion is murder. Hey, you're right. I don't think he's number six vote. And maybe without Amy Coney Barrett, you could get the other four currently on the court conservatives to say abortion is murder. Maybe that. That's true. But abortion is already so difficult to get in so many places. And it is, in my opinion, more likely that they would simply go the conservative states routes, uh, states rights route and push it back onto the plate of the states and say, well, Alabama gets to decide if abortion is legal in Alabama. And of course, they would decide it's not legal here. But guess what? Abortion's already effectively illegal in Alabama. There's like one clinic where they op- are open between one and three on alternate Tuesdays, and you can get three people in the whole state get abortions done every month. It just it's basically you you don't have the right to an abortion in a lot of states right now. And so the idea that that might continue and you might really lose that one clinic in Alabama that is allowed to perform abortions, the one Planned Parenthood or whatever else, um, that's just not an exciting uh, factor for Democrats to come out and vote, in my opinion. I don't think that that is going to bring people out of the woodwork who weren't already going to do it. Whereas the idea of getting this whole sort of, you know, plant a flag in the soil of we got a big win, we overturned Roe v. Wade, mm-hmm. that's exciting to people who are on the side of the white Catholic lady. And so I, I don't think there was any chance that, that Trump was going to put up somebody who wasn't white because Trump only cares about winning this election. He doesn't care about the court. He doesn't care about uh, how he doesn't even care about how young Amy Coney Barrett is. He doesn't care about anything other than whether his pick is going to make people, his voters say, oh, my gosh, we're going to get great Supreme Court decisions uh, if we, you know, uh, if we keep Trump in there. Maybe more liberals will die. That'll make us happy if we get more seats on the Supreme Court. That's cruel, but it's also true. So on the issue of abortion, uh, looking at Amy Coney Barrett's record, uh, she said in a 2013 uh, uh, article, uh, Roe essentially permitted abortion on demand. Her personal belief is life begins at conception. And two years ago, after she'd been on the uh, on the Seventh Circuit for a year or so, she dissented from a ruling that struck down a state law that made it illegal to abort based on a kid's sex, race, or disability. So mm-hmm. she supported the right of the state to restrict abortion if the reason for the abortion was one of those three things. Right. And, and of course, we know Senator Feinstein uh, famously criticized her for uh, the fact that the dogma lives loudly within you, implying that uh, there is a, a Feinstein thought that there should be a religious test for nominees, according to the critics of Feinstein. So that's yeah. the background. What do you think, Connor, about the idea that, that some people say, well, you know, when it comes to abortion, it's, it, there are these debates over restrictions, but it's kind of like other fundamental rights. It's like uh, issues of, of homicide and, uh, and guns and speech. There is the concept that you, you have a right as a society to stop homicide, mm-hmm. but not if it's a soldier or a cop doing his job. Not if or it's self-defense. Self-defense, yeah. exactly. And if it does happen, well, there are gradations. There is a heat of passion. Maybe insanity, you know, you'd find somebody yeah. not guilty for that reason. Mm-hmm. Similarly with free speech. Doggone it, we, we believe in free speech. But there are exceptions. If you're going to cause fire in a crowded theater or if you're actually going to incite, you know, violence and get somebody to plant yeah, a bomb. Yeah, can be a crime. Yeah, or, or defamation and so on. Same thing with, with guns. Yeah, we, we 
basically have the right uh, to have a gun, but there are exceptions. We don't want crazy people to have them. We don't want felons to have them. Uh, we don't want bazookas. So people would then turn to abortion and say, it's the same kind of thing. Well, we have to have a debate. You know, should it be in the first trimester only or the second trimester? Should it? Uh, the husband have to weigh in on it? Should, if a 17-year-old wants a, an abortion, should they have to get consent? And uh, well, what about uh, partial birth, you know, on eight and three quarters months? And, and what about the idea that the, the pure motivation, all they care about is, uh, well, uh, you know, uh, if, uh, cosmetics or, you know, I don't like the sex of that child, uh, as opposed to what if rape uh, occurred? What if uh, a danger to the women? So all of these, this laundry list of factors, yeah. uh, isn't that what the court is presented with? And in that sense, is Amy Coney Barrett, does she really represent somebody who's going in and destroying fundamental rights? Or is she simply going to weigh in along with her other justices on what what this mix of factors should be uh, to, to define the parameters of Roe versus Wade, just as they are called upon to define their parameters of government? Gun rights on in Heller and free speech and and right. homicide cases. Yeah. I I think that you're right that that is the flavor of the debate that we have had in America over the last seventy years or whatever since Roe v. Wade. I guess more like fifty years since Roe v. Wade. That the debate has been about the slowly creeping attempts to limit access to abortion from the right and the uh, slowly creeping attempts to uh, to maintain and then even uh, expand abortion access uh, from the left. There there is a debate that tries to pin the date by which you know it is okay before date of delivery or after date of conception or however you want to fra- frame it. Um, I think Amy Coney Barrett represents a very different kind of participant in that debate. It's somebody who comes in and says, I don't care about access. I don't care about uh, weeks. I don't care about developmental stages. I don't care about whether it was rape or whether the mother's health is in danger or whatever else. I'm going to take a fundamental stand. I'm going to say there is no such thing as a right to end a life because I think life begins at conception. And when you try to use your legal acumen and and engage that person in a debate and say, okay, so why do you believe that? The only answer that she is going to give is, well, I'm a member of a crazy Catholic sect. I'm I'm this this subdivision of a subdivision of a subdivision of a subdivision of crazy religious people who just think something is a fact, period, done, that's it. Egg touches sperm, that's a human being. Why? There's no why. There, there can't be a why. That's the kind of person she is. You can't engage in a debate with that person because they refuse to do so. They refuse to give you a reason why they believe what they believe. And that is a tragedy when it comes to having a debate. And that's why Amy Coney Barrett and her, you know, boss, uh, Antonin Scalia, for whom she previously clerked uh, when he was on the Supreme Court, uh, they're impossible to have a debate with on this sort of topic, because they come from a fundamentalist point of view. They're, they're religious zealots, and they're not going to back down or give in on how many weeks you have uh, before or, or after uh, a date in order to be able to get a, an abortion if it's necessary and it might protect somebody's life. It doesn't matter, because this is murder. Murder is what it is. That's the view that these people have. And how are you going to have a debate with that? You can't even say, well, what about, like, well, murder isn't always murder because self-defense, manslaughter, heat of passion, extenuating circumstances, gradations, all that. They don't want to hear gradations. Nobody wants to hear gradations when you say something like life begins at conception. So I think it's very different to have an Amy Coney Barrett in the room. And I think it's a tragedy for American jurisprudence. American jurisprudence already being a tragedy, this makes... 
this a double tragedy, which is just especially sad. When we come back, given the impossibility of the uh, the situation that Connor just described, uh, will the Democrats just boycott the hearing for Amy Coney Barrett? Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So, Connor, you were talking about uh, the frustrating situation the Democrats are in as they approach Amy Coney Barrett in this upcoming hearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, we've seen it play out in both in both sides, the Republican appointees, Democrat over the last couple of decades. These folks are really smart cookies, mm-hmm. and they know how to, to uh, uh, thrust and parry. And Who, the uh, Democrats? No, I'm talking about all the nominees. Oh, sure. They know how to avoid answering the tough questions. True. Because, and, and again, it's, it's on both sides because they've learned that, you know, they just say, well, you know, that might come up before the court. So first question for you. There's been some talk about the Democrats boycotting the situation. We will not have courtesy meetings in our Senate offices mm-hmm. with this person. The whole process is illegitimate. Can you spell Merrick Garland? We are not going to attend the hearing. Uh, we are not going to vote. The Republicans want to have a little party, a little Supreme Court party. Let them do it. The American people will be shocked by the fact that this is all one-sided. You think that's going to happen? No, I don't think any of that's ha- going to happen because I don't think the Democrats have enough uh, intent to kill. They don't care enough about losing the Supreme Court. They care mostly about maintaining the power that they have as well, the Democrats. are you sure? I mean, and they, they, they care is, like to the jillionth power with the fury of a thousand suns they care no, to the overcome Democrats. the Merrick Garland no, 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 situation. No, no. I think that the elected Democrats, the people who hold office, their attitude about politics is, okay, it's your turn, Trump. Uh, other people, not me somehow, it's not my fault, but somebody else blew it with Hillary and it was supposed to be our turn and you took it from us. Good job being a political beast and and crushing it. And we're going to get it back. And as soon as we get it back, we'll fix things. I think that's the wrong way to go about politics. If you're going to go up against people who have no regard for norms, like the GOP, the modern GOP, Mitch McConnell, who doesn't, Ted Cruz, who will just make up, as I predicted before this this, uh, debate even started, they will just make up some BS in order to jam through another seat on the Supreme Court without regard for the, the history and the, the old hypocrisy. different party controlled the Senate and White House argument. Yeah, nonsense, complete gibberish nonsense. And we knew it was gibberish and, uh, gibberish and we knew it was coming, but it doesn't matter. When you're going up against somebody who has no regard for norms, you also have to have no regard for norms. Democrats should physically bar the door. They should physically get in the way and link arms and have to be dragged away to jail. Well, they kind of did that until it, when they are dragged away and put in jail. Then the Democrats will put Amy Coney on the Barrett, uh, Amy Coney Barrett on the court without them, and they will be able to say, "Look, it was obviously completely illegitimate. We did everything we could. We completely shut down the entire government. Which who cares? We'll shut down the yeah. Oh no, government shutdowns are so bad, and they'll hurt the American people. This is the Republicans' fault. They're doing this to the American people. And if the if the Republicans cared as much about helping people out in the middle of a global pandemic and a turning point on race relations in America to actually actually help people out and bolster the real economy, not Wall Street, which is not the economy, but actual people and give them money, pay them to stay home and pay employers to pay the salaries of people so they keep their jobs to keep our country afloat. If they cared enough, they would do it. Shutting down the government now does no more harm than the Republicans have already done. So yeah, shut everything down. Don't pass the omnibus spending bill before the election. Do not let the Republicans into uh, 
the Senate chambers until the Democrats are dragged away and put in jail for it. You know what? We put you in office to do a, a certain a set of important things. And sometimes that means going to jail and being dragged away by the police. That is the statement that needs to be made. Are they going to do that? No, they do not have the intent to kill. They do not have the complete disregard for norms and the you know fire under their butts that they need to have to actually do what their constituents want them to do. Well, it's interesting you mentioned about going to jail because you remember during the uh, Kavanaugh hearing, some folks actually literally did go to jail because mm-hmm. there were protesters and it, it was arranged. And there's a strategic thing. They, they didn't just do this spontaneously. Right. The Democrats uh, worked with with folks who said, uh, you know, Code Pink or whoever. Uh, hey, we really want you to <clears throat> express yourself. They did. They stood. They yelled. They screamed periodically, like every few minutes. And a bunch of them literally went to jail. I don't mm-hmm. think there were any heavy-duty prosecutions. Right. But, but that should be but, Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, well, you're right. It's not going to be the senators because if they were to go to jail, it would wrinkle their suits. Yeah, it's true. I just don't think they're going to step up to they're the plate They're not going to step that. up. Whereas Ted Cruz would get dragged away. He absolutely, uh, Mitch McConnell or Ted Cruz or Lindsey Graham, they would do it. They would put their bodies on the line and they would get dragged away to jail and they would deal with the criminal prosecution uh, that they would have to deal with because they'd be fine. And they'd do it to make a statement. But they don't have to do it right now. They can just make mealy mouth nothings because they've got the It sounds like you're saying you think the the Republican leadership has more really courage. uh, uh, Their convictions are so important to them that they literally would put themselves personally at risk going to jail protesting civil disobedience as opposed to the Democrats' leadership? Well, I don't think it's their convictions. I think it's that they know that it it would be politically expedient for them to do this and it would actually do what their constituents want them to do. And that would get them reelected. Imagine if Ted Cruz got dragged away and thrown in jail for trying to stop a liberal Supreme Court justice from being installed because of some righteousness and hypocrisy that the, the Democrats had done. That would guarantee his election, not that this election wasn't his election, re-election wasn't already guaranteed, but that would be very politically speeding for him. He would understand the value of it and he would do it. Plus Whereas it. the Democrats just won't do it because they don't care. They're just waiting their turn for January to come because they think it's a foregone conclusion, just like they thought Hillary Clinton was a foregone conclusion. And then they lost and they're going to do it again. Oh, my God, my head's going to explode, etc. I'm a Democrat. Uh, plus, the jailers would probably force Cruz to shave his beard so we'd get to see what he looks like now with, without the beard. God, we can only Here, hope. Here's my take on it. I think that the Democrats are not going to do anything wacky like boycott uh, because, you know, setting aside the question of whether something more, much more dramatic would be appropriate, I think the boycott would be seen by them as a way for the Republicans to have the national stage. And I think the Democrats want to kick up a fuss, and I think they want Kamala Harris to have, as a member of the Judiciary Committee who has a right to lead oh, the yeah, charge. Oh, yeah, get a bunch of really good sound bites. Oh, yeah, she is going to be, you know, former prosecutor. She's mm-hmm. going to be in there. So, yeah, I think they're going to be talking. So here go, here we look at the the frustrating part for, for either side. Yeah. The, the statement by... By uh, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, when she was confirmed for the Court of Appeals, was that she respected the line that other nominees uh, have drawn in refraining from comment about their agreement or disagreement with the merits or demerits of Supreme Court precedents. She believes in that. It, well, it might come up before me, and it's so frustrating because you know how really can you thoroughly vet a Supreme Court nominee yeah. if you don't get them to start talking and be expansive about their the judicial principles that live within them if they can get away with it by saying, oh, well, that has to do with gun rights. So I can't really talk about that because we could have a gun case coming up. Matter of fact, there are a few in the pipeline. Oh, abortion, I can't really talk about that. I mean, it's such a game that they play yeah, and, and they have terrible. this back and forth and right. people are looking for sound bites. They won't I, even talk about their generic judicial philosophies because 
that itself is too incendiary a concept. They just don't say anything. They're very good at not saying anything. Kavanaugh. So you're saying the Democrats can't do anything about that? The short short of do- civil disobedience and making headlines, no. you're saying there's nothing they can do to draw her out? They put up a professor at Stanford who said, that guy sexually assaulted me. And that guy cried onto the podium and said, I like beer, and it's not a crime for me to like beer. And he got the job. That was his job interview, and he got the job. There is nothing the Democrats can do to stop Amy Coney Barrett, or literally a ham sandwich from being put, a conservative ham sandwich, of course, you know, on rye, would be to be put on in the Supreme Court. There is nothing they can do because the Democrats are not going to respect the concept of the advice and consent of the Senate and think that, you know, oh, well, they this person uh, was exposed to be uh, a person with bad judicial philosophy. She is a person with bad judicial philosophy. She has fundamentalist beliefs that prevent her from making good decisions. She is of the Scalia vein of insane originalism who says that the only smart people exist in the 1800s. They came up with all the good ideas and we just have to defer back to them. In the field of medicine, we laugh, as someone wisely observed recently, we laugh at the stupidity of the field and the stupidity that we held in the 1990s. Wow, what idiots we were back then when we thought that's how this disease worked in the 1990s. Thank goodness we are past that 30 years hence. 300 years ago, we look back to the laws of England and lawyers sit around and twiddle their thumbs and think, oh, did they figure it all out in the 1700s in England? I guess we should just stick with precedent. No, that's not how it works. The world changes constantly. and We have to change with it. And originalism completely leaves us in the dustbin of history. And Amy Coney Barrett is yet another Scalia clone, former clerk, who's just going to drag us backwards uh, towards people in white powder wigs. So it's possible that the, the Republicans will pay the price for pushing this through, because if you look at the uh, the polls, Washington Post ABC News poll was just taken, 57% of Americans say the election winner should pick the next uh, nominee. Only 38% said that Trump should do that. The People really aren't buying the, the Mitch McConnell argument about, you know, well, in 2016, the American people elected a GOP no, Senate to counteract no. Obama. So so what about that? Obama, uh, Trump gets his Supreme Court nominee, if but, you the, asked, but the public, yeah. uh, and, and there's another scenario, the public uh, punishes him by handing the Senate to the Democrats, handing the White House to Biden, and the senators are free if they want to change their rules and change the situation on the Supreme yeah. Court and create four more seats to a 13-member U.S. Yeah. Supreme Court. The other thing that could hurt Trump is that, okay, we know two senators, Murkowski and Collins, are not going to vote for the nominee. That brings it down to 51. You only need to lose two more. Now, Mitt Romney says, I'm okay with the vote, but who knows if he'll he'll vote for Amy Coney Barrett. Probably will. He will. But is it possible that there are two other Republican no. senators out there worried about their reelection chances who read the tea leaves and say to themselves, you know, I don't like to tick off our fine president, but I think he's going down and I'm going down if I don't take a stand here in Alabama or Oregon or wherever it is uh, against the, the Supreme Court thing. Because if you lose two more votes, then Amy is history. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Nothing that the blue voters in uh, Mitt Romney's state uh, can do to him compares to what... Oh, it's not Mitt this year. He's not up for re-election. But a bunch of Republicans are up for re-election. Right, right. And, and we're talking about the people, and Mitt was an example. But you're right, there is somebody uh, who actually is up for re-election and who might actually, you know... Uh, 
be worried that if he if he goes for Amy Coney Barrett, that his his voters will will punish him. As in Collins' case, a Republican is not right. going to go for her. If if that person uh, were to flip, uh, then Susan Collins would flip back and support Amy Coney. Oh, Barrett you think so? She is a completely that uh, would be. A flip-flop, wouldn't it? She will do whatever Mitch McConnell tells her to do. And there's no way that the Republicans headed by Mitch McConnell will let this one slip away. You make himself sound like accident. an evil genius. He's not a genius. He just understands that he has political power. But you're okay with the evil part. Yeah. No comment. Okay. <laughs> this, this, there's just no possibility that Amy Coney Barrett does not make it uh, through confirmation. It doesn't matter what she says. She is going to get confirmed because it's a, a, if if they show the weakness of putting a candidate out there and then having to drag that candidate back, then the next candidate will be vulnerable to that. And the the Democrats, you know, the possibility will arise that, oh, you know, they're, they will be excited about it. They will see that the Democrats are their champions and that they're actually working hard to make sure that advice and consent of the Senate means something and that they're going to actually stop Trump from pushing through an improper candidate. They think that they have that power and thinking you have that power can mean that you eventually do have that power. So the Republicans can't give any quarter. They can't back down one inch. And Amy Coney Barrett is the sort of scary, insidious person who will get onto the court uh, pretending to be uh, innocuous. And then, of course, not call balls and strikes, but call her ideology. Well, as always, Connor, I I may not agree with you, but you're uh, very thoughtful. I will say, however, looking at our list of advertisers, let's see, we've lost the Best Foods Mayonnaise. We've lost the McConnell for Senate ads Uh as a sponsor Uh for the podcast Uh as well. Still got Gogurt. Still got Gogurt. Locking in Gogurt. Connor Oaks. Love Gogurt. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time on Too Many Lives.